Well, hey friends, welcome to another episode of Life Together Unscripted. Today's interview is with Tommy Green. Man, I was so stoked to talk with this dude. Uh, He was on a short list at the beginning of when I started this journey and uh, finally uh, caught up with him and was so glad that we were able to cross paths. Um, I was first introduced to Tommy and his band Sleeping Giant about nine years ago. Uh, I went to a show and was going to check out my buddies Norma Jean and at the time they were opening for them. And I just remember... um, the presence of God filling uh, the space of the glass house in Pomona as he was using Tommy uh, and his band as a mouthpiece and the testimony that he had, the hardships he's endured and the vulnerability uh, in which they spoke from stage um, was just, it was beautiful. If you have never Googled them or if you've never checked them out, please do. Uh, do yourself a favor, Google Tommy Green, Sleeping Giant, check out some of the stuff that they talk about. Uh, it is tremendous, it is passionate, it is powerful. Uh, but today we talk about some of that. We talk about some of the hardships and challenges of being a frontman for a Christian uh, metalcore band like that. And we talk about America and the state of politics. And ultimately, uh, this is just an anointed brother of Christ. Uh, you could just see his passion uh, and purpose as he speaks. And it is a delight to have him on today's show. I hope it blesses you. I know it did me. Peace. Hey, bud. What's up, man? It's all happening. It is, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, bro. Um, we've had some phone tag and we've had some, yeah, email tag and uh, it's all good. We're, we're finally making this happen. Thanks for joining me today, brother. No way. <laughs> no worries. Hi. Hey, um, just on the quick, uh, I'm already recording right now. So as a heads up, like the format of this podcast is like, look, um, because it's unedited, unscripted, um, feel free at any point in time to... Um, pass over anything, you know, that's uncomfortable or you just don't want to go there. And secondarily, uh, it's a dialogue, brother. So if you ever want to flip the conversation on me, if you ever want to know something uh, on my end or you just, you know, want to flip it on me, feel free to. So those are the rules of engagement, bro. Um, cool. <clears throat> hey, I, I'd be remiss. I'm in Australia. I'm thousands of miles away, but um, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in America right now. So I'd be remiss not to talk about that right off the bat, man. How are you doing? Um, what's the state of, you're in Salt Lake City, huh? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, kind of crazy. It's been a little bit nuts, man. Um, a lot of anxiety, I think, just in the atmosphere. Um, Salt Lake is, uh, Salt Lake City, because it's like the headquarters of the LDS church. Um, most people think of when, at least in the States, like when people think of Salt Lake City, they think uh, like just so many white people and like, mostly Mormons. And so it's very, it's a very strange city in America. Cause it's like, it's like a blue politically. It's like a blue dot mm-hmm. in like a red state. So it's like the state by and large is very much conservative religious kind of thing. Salt Lake is like an activist center. And so yeah, wow. dynamic subcultures, one of the largest, uh, I think one of the largest, per capita um, ratios of LGBTQ people in North America, like vibrant animal rights community, a lot of like political activism, but very much like a, hi, welcome to Salt Lake. So it's a clean, it's a clean and a beautiful city. But um, there, I think I would say it like this in a lot of ways, like it's not like judgment. I just think it's like, it just is what it is. It's like religion breeds rebellion. And so it's a very like 
polarizing place. It's very much black or white here. Like, and I don't mean that racially. I mean that like conviction wise, like it's just, it's very challenging. Um, to find the gray. So anyways, it's an interesting spot, but so wow. Salt Lake is like a small town, but it's a major Metro. So it's like a little city. Mm-hmm. And so the protests mm-hmm. were interesting in that you had the black lives matter movement here. You've got the NAACP here. You've got a lot of different groups, people of color that are like out in the streets doing their thing. And then um, there's just a whole lot of, pissed off white people that kind of jumped in and whether it was legit or they were just co-opting the moment to like be a part of a riot, um, stuff got pretty intense. And so, uh, they burned a cop car and then some dude jumped out of his car with a bow and arrow to like fight the protesters and he got tuned up and then they lit lit his car on fire. And, um, so it's, it's a violent place, like in a lot of ways. So it's interesting to me. Cause I'm like, man, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting time, but we live right downtown. And so there's been a week long curfew that just got lifted. I think tonight because the city is trying its best to be cool, but, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, weeks and months. I, I don't know what kind of reform or administration kind of changes are going to need to take place within law enforcement to satisfy the deeply felt need for change. Um, you know, prosecuting four officers that essentially executed a dude on camera for the umpteenth time in the last 10 years is one thing, but, um, so I know they're going to step up prosecution because the world is watching, but it's like they're in some cities, there aren't enough police and, and the, the towns are being terrorized by the chaos. And I don't know how, I don't know what to say to that other than there's a lot of really foolish people out there that are just opportunistic and they're hurting people. And so you need the police to go, Hey, that's out of line. And it's the same departments that are abusing their authority. And so in some half of the countries, like, screw these guys, they shouldn't be breaking the law and hurting everybody. And those, and then within that same community are people that are like, oh, and who's going to police the police? Cause they're totally out of line. And so it's a very divided time and you can feel the tension and the anxiety of it in the city. Um, I have hope that this is just indication of um, reformation that has, is destined to come. And I, I believe that with all my heart, we have a chance to really make some important changes um, to heal the the soul and the national wound of this place. But time will tell because punk rock kids are passionate, but sometimes they just don't have great heads on their shoulders when it comes to actual like long-term change. Um, And so there's got to be, I think this is the place where I hope in many ways that, uh, what is leveraged is room at the table for dynamic and powerful people of color to help make the legislative changes that need to happen um, so that America can actually become reconciled in some way. Um, but I don't know, man, what we'll yeah. see. So no yeah, doubt, it's, a, it's a wild time, but, and I'm, I'm in a little Metro, I'm not in a major Metro. And so we don't have some of this, the same stuff happening as, Minneapolis or Dallas or LA or New York or 
um, we're, we're middle of the road and there's like 150 cities that got involved in these protests. We're one of 150. Um, yeah. so yeah. we're not the biggest and we're certainly not the smallest. We're just, we're one of many. So, yeah, no doubt, man. And I was chatting with my wife. We're both from the States. We've been out here for about a decade. Um, and so we're a little bit out of distance, but, um, man, I was just praying this morning and I'm like, God, I, I got to confess that like, I don't think things are going to change apart from your hand moving in this country and in this nation. Um, and so please God move. But, um, I'd love to know, um, so I'm a bit, a, a little apathetic and jaded to the system, you know, like I've lived through, um, Rodney King, uh, you know, in the nineties. And so similar things and it's decade upon decade upon decade upon, you know, um, of injustice and, and, and garbage. But bro, I want to know, like, what's your felt experience? Like, you kind of talked me through the political kind of structure and strata of um, Salt Lake City, but like, how are you navigating that with your, you've got children, right? You said, um, like, I have the luxury, I'm, I've got a seven-year-old and, and I don't have to like bring him into this right now. Um, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not present. It's not all of that. So I, I'm, you know, we're going to have some conversations with him, but it's not like a, we're not seeing looting. We're not seeing all this stuff on the news. How are you going about that for you with your family? Um, and, and what's the felt experience in the green household? How are you guys doing? Um, it's a little overwhelming, bro. Honestly, we are try we do our best to try to maintain the, the purity and the innocence of childhood and inform them at the same time. Uh, it's interesting. Chrissy green, my beloved wife has been helping my son just before school. Today's the last day of school. They've been homeschooling basically since March. Um, cause the school kind of sh everything shut down with the COVID-19 stuff. So <clears throat> they actually just got done with a whole section on the American civil rights movement and, and the issues. So in some ways, Chrissy and Rada have been having a dialogue about it mm -hmm. and our value system, I think in our family is, um, informed by the American hardcore scene as much as it's informed by our kingdom experience being people of faith that are involved with people all over the place. But I would say the the hardcore scene is like a real interesting place to grow up because throwaway kids from all over the world are like every race, every group, every nationality, every thing. And so to be touched by pain or rejection or hurt or poverty, like that stuff is as indiscriminate as anything else. And so the hardcore scene as a folk culture creates interesting dialogue because you get to be at the tip of the spear in some points being a street style of culture. It's essentially like punk. It's like hip hop for punk rock kids. So it's mm -hmm. a real interesting like vibe. And when you come from a place like here, or a place like California, you get to see all sorts of stuff. And so for us talking about the difference, um, I was talking with one of my good friends today and talking about the difference as we, as we talk about is there differences between culture and differences between race? Are they all the same? Um, and just kind of saying, and not, and not in a problematic way, like, but there are very real racial differences that are very specific to different races and groups of people. And then there's very real cultural things that cover everyone. Like if you're, if you're a white boy and you grow up in Oakland with all black people, you experience the same culture, even though you're not in the same racial system. And so in some ways it's like, you can have issues that are very much cultural that have nothing to do with race. And they kind of have everything to do with race and 
they kind of don't. So it's, it's real interesting, like breaking it down. So for our kids, we are just talking about the value for us as a family is like, we want to celebrate the diversity of people. And so wherever they're from, we're not saying everyone is the same. We just don't like, I'm an Irish kid. My whole family came from Ireland. Like we celebrate the fact that I know what city my ancestors were, were born in. I know where some of them are buried in Ireland and I know where they're buried in California from the first settlers that got here and we're Irish. It's like a part of our heritage. Like I'm very nearly um, genetically like 60% Irish. Like I'm, it's just who we are. Like I know where my people came from. So in general, like we love that. And when we have friends and family members that are like in Utah, we have a huge Pacific Islander community, Tonga, Samoa, like all these dudes. And it's a big deal because you have BYU Hawaii. So you have a lot of Pacific Islanders that are all LDS and they came to Utah because of that influence. I say all LDS, like majority of them are here because of the LDS church. It's not like, Hey, Utah, let's go to the snow. Like they wanted to come here. Like, no, it's because of the religious influence. So we have like all these people that are Hispanic and Pacific Islanders and African Americans and, and refugees from other nations because of the LDS churches, like programs and assistance. So our goal isn't to say, Oh, we're all the same and make it all like level. Our goal is to say, we all are equal before God, but we're all unique and special. And we have different parts of our culture and different value systems. Our goal would be to celebrate that, but it's very difficult and challenging to celebrate that when there's such vast inequity in the experience. And there's surreal differences between being a person of color in America and a Caucasian that just looks like, you know, white, I say it all the time, white, right-handed, six foot tall Christian American, like the whole world was made for me apparently, but like, that's not true. So we, we are trying to speak to how beautiful the, the diversity is. We're trying to create a culture where our kids can go, yeah, like that's interesting. Like our friends, such and such and such and such, they have that beautiful brown color skin, right? Like, mm. so that's what we're reading about. Yeah. Mm. And years ago, people that looked like them would have been treated very differently just because of the difference in their skin color. Wow. Like that's why. So we're having these conversations, but we're not trying to be like, Hey man, like <laughs> everything's on fire and like, it's yeah. kind of sketchy and Hey, you know, so there's all sorts of threats of bad stuff happening or yeah, in the middle of the night, people are going through our neighborhood and graffitiing stuff. It's like, that's just kind of how it is. So trying not to terrify them, but we're definitely trying to make them aware that they are a part of a bigger world, but empowering them through love to actually look at it well. And, and hopefully that comes together, but man, parenting, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're learning on the dime, brother. We're, <laughs> Yeah, my, yeah. my oldest is like, my oldest is 20, like my oldest Marin, she's turning 20 in August. And, um, I feel like we grew up together. So now me and Chrissy, you've got these three littles and I'm still looking at going, man, I'm learning. So, and I've been there, I've been here and like, I haven't been here. So this is just such a wild time, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, um, let's go, let's go faith and then let's go hardcore. I'd love to just know from a faith perspective, you know, you've got some people, um, you know, the memes are kind of floating around that, that this is end times, this is revelation, this is, you know, it's happening before our eyes. You got, you know, that kind of crazy outburst, and then you've got um, people just lost and confused and hurting, and um, a lot of scripture moving around in social media space, which is really encouraging. You've got Trump, um, you know, uh, 
popping up in front of the church the other day. A lot of things going on in the faith sphere sphere of things. So how are you reflecting on this time? And, you know, what prayers or what things are you reflecting on as it relates to, to faith? I, um, I gave, I, I don't believe in like a lot of like, I don't necessarily follow a lot of the, like, well, it's going to be the rapture. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not Mm -hmm. in. So Mm -hmm. there's a big part of that where I'm like, okay, like (laughs) this is people managing the freedom that God has given them. And statistically from the birth of the church to now, we are more victorious, more full of the knowledge of God. The gospel is more accepted and more powerful all over the world than it's ever been. And nation's still going to rise against nation and people are still going to fight and managing our freedom is challenging and people that are corrupt love power and the way of Jesus is not in exercising and lording authority over the people in the bottom greatness is for serving but not all world systems are modeled after the humble man from nazareth so what do we expect so there's a part of me that's like it's never been awesomer to be a part of the kingdom and yeah stuff's super intense but i would just say you know, 40 years ago, they shot the president in a motorcade and then they killed his brother on TV and then they shot down every powerful civil rights leader that they possibly could. And they were shooting college students as they protested. That just wasn't our generation. So for us, as we're looking at it, we're like, this is the worst that it could ever be. It's like, yo, no, high schools were segregated. Like, 40 years ago, it was like illegal to be black, basically. Like, get at it. No, this is the same stuff that we're going to have to reckon with until we, we really come to a spot where we resolve who we want to be as America. And the beautiful thing is that the younger generation that's coming up, where some of the problems that have plagued our forefathers or whatever are so ridiculous and crazy that they're just going to put it in a museum and walk away. It's going to be awesome in a little while, but right now as the wine skin is bubbling, yeah, it kind of sucks to be in the middle of it, but this is the fight. This could be a really beautiful fight in our generation because the pain and the blood of this land Um, I would just say the great mission field of America in the next hundred years is going to be the healing of complex trauma. And so you have traumatized people groups managed by a traumatized authority and you have everyone provoking each other to violence and hatred and short fuses and everyone's overwhelmed. And we have a chance to actually experience generational healing systemic healing, restoration instead of punishment, we can do something cool here. But yeah, it's brutal. So for people like, it's the end times, it's like, okay, (laughs) okay, Um, (laughs) sure, great. Like, okay, and so what? What what are you going to do? Like, what are we going to do? Are we supposed to be scared of that? Or are we supposed to just like continue to fill the earth with the, the goodness and the love of God until he returns. Cause he cracks the sky. Now I'm gonna feel like we're not ready. Like I'm like, ah, 
time out. Like I say it all the time, like my little boy hasn't learned how to drive. I haven't walked him down the aisle yet. Like, don't come back yet, bro. I got a lot of life I get to experience. Like I'm a second chance kid. I thought this was going to be over for me like 20 years ago. So like, you got to give me some time, man. Like, and, and I want them to fall in love and then they're going to have kids and I'll be like, ah, don't do it yet. Like look at these little guys. So if I'm believing for generations of the goodness of God, then like that end time stuff, that doesn't serve my long-term vision, which is that the world actually can get more like Christ Mm. and he can receive even more glory. Mm. And yeah, stuff's hard, man. And and we were also like born for this. So I think that's where I go with like, you're totally right. Like Trump and his whatever, like I have nothing good to say about that at all. I think, um, yeah, I have nothing good to say about that fool at all. So it's like, I, I, I treat him the way Jesus treated Herod where they're like, what about Herod? He's coming to get you. And she's like, you tell that Fox I'm gonna go. Yeah. So for me, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. I'm not buying what anyone's selling. I'm, yeah. I'm not a company man. So I don't, I'm not interested in ascribing to anyone's thing. The only person I'm willing to be a hypocrite for is Jesus. And outside of that, everyone else can have their agenda. I'm not interested. Mm. Um, well, but that's you, how it, that's kind of how it is. I feel like for me, that's how I'm reckoning it in my mind as I watch. Yeah. Can you help me though? Like I, I'm in a similar boat, bud, and I posted something about Trump the other day and I, I just took it down. I'm like, look, this is unhelpful. Like I had a moment where I'm like, this isn't actually, um, yeah, promoting the Lord and, and goodness in any way, shape or form. Right. So regardless of that, look, I'm in Australia right now and um, there is a divide and a, and an, um, a lack of understanding that people can have political blinders masked by religious systems. And I, I, I just, I'd love you to comment on that because over here it is a bit different. And so people don't understand how it's so deeply embedded, how, you know, Trump's got the Republican nod and then there can be a Republican Christian not actually following Jesus or, or the practice or the teaching of Jesus. And can you speak on that in your experience of, um, you know, American politics and, and just how you see that? I have a, I have like a really dear friend who's a, he's a, he's actually like a, um, he's a business and development coach. He's an executive coach. He works with like, you know, really powerful people and helps them continue to achieve their goals and stuff. He loves Jesus. He's, he's a powerful individual. And he says that there are a lot of people that all of us have a vision in our heart of who we want to be, where we want to be, what we're dreaming for, what we're believing for. And that's like our personal integrity, our vision. And he said a lot of people in his experience, if not most every person, including him, will detach from that vision of of who we really are supposed to be when one of our four idols are kicked. And the four idols are looking good, feeling good, being right, or being in control. And so I'm saying that on a heart level, every single one of us, we might want to be 
a beautiful husband and father. We might want to be powerfully physically. So we want to train. We want to be in good shape. We want to be sexy for our partner. We want to have a really hot sex life and we want everything to be awesome. So we want to be hot. We've got that. Then we want to be successful financially so that we've got more to give to our kids than we had, or we just want to leave inheritance for people, or we just want to make a bunch of money because we feel like God told us to. We want to give it all away. Great. We have these visions of who we're going to be. And even us in those moments, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to feel stupid and we don't want to feel powerless or small. And that's just in our day-to-day life. Like I know I should be doing X, but man, I just don't want to look dumb doing it. So I'm not even going to try. Okay. What I'm saying is all of us are subject to idolatry all the time. That's individual. So on a corporate level, I would say to answer your question, America has an idolatry problem. And the key part of this for our moms and dads and the conservative party and the Republicans is, is it is so very, very, very easy to make an idol out of the religion of America. And it is a false God. But a lot of people, they believe that if they pledge their allegiance to that like system, it will provide for them looking good, feeling good, being right being in control and and there's they know they want to get it from Jesus but in the midst of it it's almost like a bait and switch like if i can if we can do the system the way that Jesus really wants us to we'll get everything he wants through this system and the point is no system is ever going to do that for you you go directly to him any other system is an idol but i think in general what is promised to Republican Christians in America right now is this is the great Republic. This is the city on the Hill. We can finally do the thing that all of us have been wanting, which is we can establish this as a Christian nation that will accomplish the purposes of God. And we will become the great light of the nations and everyone will come streaming to our light and God will get the credit. And the reality is that is such BS. It's unbelievable but they love it. They love it. They seem to love it. You got a dude that has never dropped to his knees and confessed Jesus as Lord, playing the role to perfection, to appease his power base at the expense of our spiritual integrity. And we look like crap to a whole generation of people that are waiting for us to have enough integrity to say, what are you doing holding that book you don't read it and you wouldn't bleed for it. And you, you're not a part of what he's really about. Look at your tweets, bro. Your character is not Christ-like at all. The way you speak, who you speak to, and the way you utilize authority is not Christ-like. But everyone's just down because looking good, feeling good, feeling right, or feeling in control. We will sell our soul personally to look good, feel good, be right, be in control. Don't tell me we're not doing it nationally if a dude standing on the top of the mountain with all the crosses behind him going, we're going to look good, feel good, be right, be in control. Like everyone is in because his marketing is brilliant. But the dude is full of it and I don't buy it. So that's what I think is happening in America is we have an idolatry problem And America is in of itself its own religion. And it will lead people astray because anything that tries to take Jesus out of first place is a problem 
even when they say this is about Jesus. Okay. Anyone with their sense in their head can see there's plenty of Christian culture that's all about Jesus and not connected to Jesus at all. And that's in the church. So put it on the political mountain. It's like 50 times removed. Like, what are you guys, stupid? What does it matter with you? Like, there's Christian worship leaders that are so detached from Jesus. And you love singing their songs. And we all know it. Like, this is corny. What are you talking about? But it's our culture. So again, anything culturally that stands in the way of Christ has got to go. That's why Jesus is like, hey, you know, Simon the Zealot is effectively Antifa. And Matthew, the tax collector, is MAGA. And he goes, hey, both you guys are on my team now. So drop your stuff. That's what the whole world is going to have to do. Jesus is, well, it'll mess me up. Jesus is, in fact, still <laughs> the, well, the treasure of the world. So every nation can come to him and throw their treasure down because he's worth it. But if you're not willing to take the risk, man, you're just going to try to bring your culture to him and see if he'll capitulate to your value system. And I just hope he laughs at all of us and goes like, absolutely not. My way is so much higher than your way. You have no clue what, if you'd surrender your flag, I'd give you mine. And you don't even know what that is. So for me, I just go, yeah, Jesus says, I see your culture. Bow. Try it. And that's a brown man telling other brown people, like, bow, let's go. So I'm just saying that to America. America's got an idolatry problem. That's all I see. And America is becoming its own religion in some way. And, and I just, I'm not a fan. And they think they need to go through America to get to Jesus. And last time I checked, Jesus just jumped the balcony and came directly to us. So we got to go nowhere to get him. He got us. So like, I, I do Jesus plus nothing. So I, I just think in those moments, I go, yeah, we're substituting something that we're supposed to get from Jesus. And I think it's because we don't want to feel out of control. And if we can trust in a king, we don't have to look at him. If I do this in my own life, you know what I'm saying? Like we do this individually. We try to, we try to build something that can fill that space that only Jesus can really fill. And, and it's, fu it's futile. It's foolish because he outgrows us in it so fast that we have to keep surrendering like our little version of what Christianity is all the time. So if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't put anything in front of him. And so to, to have some joker be like, let's make this nation a Christian nation. It's like, okay. Bro. Wow. Bro. Thank God for that rant. Thank you so much, man. No, that was, is there um, something, that was, that was anointed. That was, that was beautiful, bud. That was beautiful. Hey, and I really want to get to hardcore. I'm like, look, he's, he's going on a hardcore rant. Let's get into hardcore. But you said something and you mentioned kingdom and um, bro, if you'd be vulnerable with me, what's something that's counter kingdom building for Tommy Green? Like, like you acknowledge and you see, you're like, man, you know what? As much as I'm for the kingdom of Christ, I notice that I'm building little kingdoms for Tommy in this way and shape and form. And, and God's still trying to break that down in my heart and in my life. Um, you know, th yeah. the temptations that Satan's still kind of uh, building oh, you up yeah, and, and okay. warning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, one of the things that he's spoken to me. So this is real interesting. There's a, there's a, a New York bestselling author and his name is Ryan holiday. And he wrote a book called the obstacle is the way he wrote a book called ego is the enemy. And he just wrote a new one called Stillness is the Key. And um, 
it's all based in stoic philosophy. And he was, he used to be the director of marketing for American apparel. Um, he's a, he's really a smart, smart guy. He's an amazing author, incredible researcher. And he's, he's sort of a stoic. He's, he believes in the simplicity and kind of the straightforwardness of stoic philosophy, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and all these guys. So they would be contemporaries of the apostles that we follow, the early church followers. You know, these are the guys that they would do debates with. So it's really interesting. So I was at a leadership retreat and I was supposed to do a keynote and Ryan was there as well. He was hired to do a keynote at this like business thing. And so my homie that put it on was like, you should tell your story. Um, so it's a chance for me to give my testimony basically in front of a group of people that are like from all over the place, basically like a Ted talk in this like dude ranch. And it was like very interesting. So I get done with my story and, uh, Ryan walks up to me and he goes, Hey man, <laughs> that story, man, that was, that was horrible. I'm like, I know. Right. And he goes, Hey, that wasn't love. That was codependence. And I have some books you should read. And I'm like, oh, snap. So I'm like so pumped. I'm like, whoa. So we're like, we had, we talked just a few more times during that day. We just hung out on in a couple breakouts and and chatted. And then he, you know, he went on. I'll probably never see this dude again. But um, it was the first time that someone looked at me and said, hey, man, you know the way you're telling your testimony? there's some stuff in there that I don't think is actually like good for you. And it was kind of the beginning of me. I went to therapy. I went to counseling. I, um, I ended up going to trauma therapy and doing some sessions of trauma therapy, uh, especially because we work in the, we're starting to work in the human trafficking space with our, our nonprofit with run against traffic. So some dudes were like, Hey, I got some books you got to read because you're going to be dealing with trauma. You're going to be seeing the world through the lens of trauma, it's very important because you're looking at people that are making horrendous choices and you have to be able to see why, like what is this world? And in in researching it, realizing that there's a lot of traumatic things that I've absorbed over the years. And there's been tons of healing in the spirit. Like God has done amazing miracles in me, totally. And I'm still a human. And so my brain and my body processed trauma in very interesting ways. So the thing that I would say to answer your question without getting super crazy about it is I realize in me, I have hidden my trauma emotionally, mentally, and married those things to Bible verses, believing that Jesus had a reason for it. And in marrying my trauma to a Bible verse I actually kept myself immature in some ways, um, uh, hurting in areas that Jesus didn't want for me, acting out because of that, but, but feeling like this is me and my journey with God. Like just in general, being unhealthy, but having theology that said, it's okay, because God's working it out with me. And realizing that I had taken my trauma and married it to scripture Jesus keeps growing in me and I'm realizing I have to let go of my own story about some of these things if I'm going to continue to be mature. And that's super scary because I have to, I have to reconcile where I've been dishonest with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have to acknowledge where I've actually been really hurt and 
I have to allow the places where I've been massively disappointed by God to, to be seen and known. And so I struggle when I wake up in the morning with a very high level of shame all the time. Like from my origins, I feel as though there's something wrong with me and I got to figure out how to be good enough to make it okay. But my fear is if I'm really me and people really see it, it's only a matter of time before they're going to leave. And so it puts me in a whole lot of anxiety and I feel like I have to be okay, like with myself. And, and that's not like denying it's, it's within that Matthew 22 thing. Like I got to love God. I've got to love myself. I've got to love other people. So this is about God unfolding the richness of the great commandment in Tommy Green's life is like, I didn't know and I'm learning how to actually love myself. And for the longest time, if I could give enough that other people loved it, then my needs would get met. Or if I loved God, I would feel good. And so I'm like, yeah, like I just got to keep loving God and then I'll feel better. But on a certain level, there's a whole room inside of my soul that was locked. And inside of that is a part of me that was like so terrified. Uh, so that's what I'd say is I, I'm dealing with being a Christian brings up your issues, bro. <laughs> like, and, and, and being a human brings up your issues and having commitment to love will bring up all of your garbage because love always transforms its object, but you got to deal with it. So for me, I've had a Christianity that was productive and public and trying and but inside, man, I'm still, I'm still dysfunctional and um, addictive and um, I, not like, yeah, dishonest about it. Cause I'm trying to figure it out. Like, you know, unrealistic and, and performance and shit. So in realizing that that's, that's my Christianity, man. Like I, I've got, I'm in the process of repentance having my mind changed and, and it'll keep going until it's until I see him probably. But that's, that's what I say is I'm, it's not corny self introspection. It's saying I could love God and I could love everyone else, but I had no idea how to love myself. And that was all of sleeping giant. That was my whole Christianity. I've been building churches and speaking and all, but inside there's been a whole lot of shame that I've just had to have a safe place to process and really be honest about. And it is true that when I love God, I feel better. And it is true that when I serve and love people, I feel better, but I also got to figure out how to just love, love being alive. And unfortunately, just because of uh, my therapist says little like kids are really great at picking up the information, but they're horrible translators and so um i i picked up a whole lot of story from my life but i translated it so poorly that it meant that i sucked i was the root of all the pain if i could go away or be small it would mm. be better so it just was interesting so i'm just saying that like in a very real way there's a you can get off in weird tangents and do stupid crap or whatever with that but the reality is it's like i'm just trying to develop 
the first commandment in my own life and realizing yeah. that that was a whole area that was un, unexplored or undeveloped in my discipleship. And that's kind of where I'm developing right now. Yeah, that's good, man. And it's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> there's a Keller book called uh, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And, and basically, in a nutshell, um, you know, the, the, the minimizing of self is a similar way to draw attention to itself, right? It's like I can yeah. say I'm this sinful mess of a person, blah, blah, blah. And yet that in and of itself is um, desiring to receive praise and affection and all of that. Um, I'm not saying that's your reality, but I've lived that reality. I've said, you know, I've stuffed up my life and this and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And, and in, in a bizarre reverse cosmic way, I'm actually seeking to draw attention to myself and, you know, the pride. Um, Absolutely. I want to know, though, you, you said you've, you know, ch planted churches. You're on the stage for Sleeping Giant for a number of years. Um, how did that exacerbate the problem for you? Um, like, I want to know, like, <clears throat> I've been on stages and I know that you're almost an extension of yourself. You're yourself, but you're yourself plus or whatever. You know, you've got that. Like, like, you can become like a character. Yeah, maybe. You're like, you're Tell that. me about that. Yeah. Well, for, for you. Me, I, I felt like I was sent. Like even with me and Chrissy Green, like she, she had my back. Like we felt like the only reason I was sacrificing the time was because of this shared mission. And I felt like we had something to offer. And we made real sacrifices, like in a big way with kids, with all the responsibilities, like years before anybody else in the band was married and had kids and all sorts of, you know, it's like we were, I was doing this because we really believed in it. And so, but I, I, I'm from Salt Lake City in the hardcore scene. And so it's a small scene and it's a hundred percent conviction and it's pissed off. And if you preach too much, they'll beat you up on stage. So I was like, you better come correct if you're going to be about it and you got to be ready to be opposed in every way. So I always felt like I was kind of in a bubble. I felt like when we go out on tour, I felt like I'm where I'm supposed to be. My wife is holding me down. We're good. Like we're going to be okay. And um, really what it was, was it was being in the relationships with the other dudes in the band. And um, that was where I felt more, I think, intense shame than I've ever felt in my life um, because we were together all the time and because I didn't have the shelving or the system to have really solid self-esteem. I had a level of confidence in God. I had a level of assuredness that my creativity mattered, but to watch people that I was in really tight relationship with just go through the ups and downs of being in a band and me being the front man and being so loud and so big and what that did for the other guys was horrible. And that was where I suffered the most. Like I, I could, I can't, there's, there, it was up until a couple of months ago after I got done with uh, some trauma therapy stuff in November of last year that I could even really listen to some of our records because there was such dynamic pain attached to some of the stuff that we went through and they love me and I love them. But like some of the way that that went down hit some of the worst areas in my heart. And so I was, I would say what it did was I thought, wow, it's wild because we're, we're performing for these people. And I, I got more and I felt like I got less and less and less sort of like, uh, honor or love from my guys, the longer we did it, which just underscored that like, yeah, Tommy's only good to be like loud for a bit, but then like, get him out of here. Like he's not, he's just, 
So, and that just, that was my shame thing anyways. Like there's something wrong with me and I'm too much and I'm too loud. So like I try to make myself small and then that'll be okay. So it really messed me up for a long time. And I, I still can't scream. Uh, like on the first couple records, I like stopped screaming for the last two. And when I try to scream now, I, I like, I don't like it. I can't. So I'm, I'm really like trying to, it was, it was very difficult for me. Cause it was like, it was about the gang that was like us. Like we were going out with like a whole message and, and that was very challenging. So I think for me, I felt like I got that I could be the character, but I came from a real city and my friends never being a rock star was like, I was like, tour dudes aren't real. That's not real. Like, that's not real life. Like that, but you get privilege. You get put at the front of the line. You get free food. You get people give you merch. Like, it, it, you just it's like you get privilege, and that's really interesting. And my and my city in the Salt Lake hardcore scene, people don't ask for autographs and stuff. So even having people ask for autographs is like, okay, man. Like I'm down to do this, but like we don't have to, you know? And so it was very, it's very real that you get, you get put in a very special place. If you don't feel special in some ways, man, it, it could drive you crazy. I guess I just, my thing was like, I didn't mind serving the kids. I didn't mind doing that. I didn't mind at all. Um, mine was like with my peers and with the people that knew me best. I feel like they liked me less the longer we were together. That was the hardest part for me. Oh. And I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying that was my experience of like, that was the deep pain that I went through in Sleeping Giant. That was like the most traumatizing stuff was like, it, yeah, it, that was brutal. That was really brutal. And, and feeling like the only way for me to make the pain stop was for me to turn my own voice down or get small, which all that did was like abuse myself. So I, I don't know if that makes sense. I just, I don't know if people yeah. do that. I feel like some people do that where they're like, you know, in order for me to make you happy, I have to go away somehow, which is a horrible place to try to live in. Um, and that was just the time. I bet that's attention in a lot of bands, like the front man and the, the cre creative people that are actually making the music. And you're like, you're more important than them in a lot of ways to everybody. And, and you are the voice of the band. And so, no, nah, man, I was like, that was crazy. That was some stuff I did not see coming at all. And so yeah. that was really... That was challenging for me. I didn't do it well. I don't know if I did it right. I know that we all got back together in some ways and we brought it in well, but man, it was really, really, it was horrible for me for a long time. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing that. Like, uh, is that um, okay? Is that yeah, okay? absolutely, bro. Like, no, I, I, I don't know if our listeners will, but I resonate with that so much, bro. Like, I was Dom from Throwdown, and when I left this band, I would still have to sign autographs in our local shopping centers, and yeah. yet. I was becoming a child of God and yet all yeah. of this didn't matter. And I had a massive pruning season for about nine months where I had oh. to just, God was releasing the clutches of this false identity that I had embraced oh, for yeah. about a decade, you know? Um, and so absolutely that matters, bro. And, and absolutely it plays on the human psyche that the devil's going to play on the human psyche of how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, how do you do that with buddies that know you? Um, and that you're in close proximity with. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I, I know that's wow. a thing. It's wild, bro. <laughs> yeah. Hey, one thing I did want to touch on, and, and bro, we're just gabbing. This is insane. I, I've loved our time together. But something that I just think about, okay, so um, we're in a hardcore setting, and, you know, 
inevitably there's fights at shows like there is just that's the thing that's you know there's there's a there's a very positive end of aggression you know being let out and and that's a good thing and a place in a but as a christian band like you know it's ironically we're the straight edge band and called throwdown and that you we get pissed when people are fighting and, and i look back and now i'm just like of course you idiot you know but um but you taking the stage uh you know from from a from a Christian brotherhood perspective, and you're going to have some different ethics attached to that. Um, yeah. and you're not going to want to see that. How did you guys go about dealing with that in those days? And, and what was your kind of, did you have a stock standard spiel? You know, was there something that was on your heart and mind, anything that you reflect on in that time? I almost hope that like for the kids, like, um, no, I didn't have a, I, in Salt Lake, it's like, if the, <laughs> Sometimes if the band stopped playing, then they would fight. It's like more. <laughs> like don't you keep playing. Yeah. This isn't about you right now. Like it was <laughs> well, it was just such a different thing. I'm yeah. like, you just you keep going. You keep going until you're done because the dudes are figuring stuff out. And and I would say this, like I've got mentors that have said, you know, there's three there's three lengths of culture. There's like high culture, pop culture, and folk culture. And like high culture is the symphony, pop culture is Taylor Swift, folk culture is the hip hop, New York hip hop in seventies. It's the hardcore scene in DC and New York in the early eighties. It is, you know, and, and folk culture, like high culture is your own chef, pop culture is Chipotle, folk culture is we make our own hummus and we're all vegan. Like, and folk culture is like indestructible. It's a hundred percent belief. Pop culture is just mass with no real conviction and high culture has got all the power and momentum and they just keep lumbering along. So folk culture always influences pop culture like 20 years later. And so for me, I'm like, the folk culture that I grew up in was like, this is just a hyper-masculine place. It's, it's the beauty and the horror of throwaway kids, man. Like it's just the street style of our scene. And so on some level, if you have beef, and the only place you're going to see each other is at the show. Unfortunately, this is the backdrop for a whole culture of people. It's, it's its own nation. It's like an unreached people group. It is, it is its own tribe. And so within that folk culture is this hyper-masculine element. It's, it's orphaned culture. It's fatherless in some ways. So it's this bastardized sound that's looking for acceptance and and so when i watch people go i'm like guess you guys are going to figure it out man but the security is going to have to stop you guys because at some point it's like it's just my job is to do this so i i experienced it most of the time like we were getting enough hate that maybe it didn't have to go there and i would say this the only time i can think about it we were on a tour it was a big tour we came to salt lake city and a dude had gotten stabbed in the head with a pen like two bands before we played and it was tense. It was just tense in the place. And I was with Stevis from the chariot and it was great. And he's like the best. And so we're just talking and he's like, dude, what is going on? And I'm like, kids are pissed, man. I don't know. So we go to play. And I, before we went on stage, I, it was the first time I just said, if you care at all about what I'm about and who I am, I need you guys to stop that. Like we can't do that now. And really, you could feel the presence of God kind of like almost like tangibly sweep through the place. And the, the whole atmosphere shifted. And for our set, 
it was like it was like a real kingdom spot. And Steve and some of the dudes came up to me and were just like, "There's nothing like Sleeping Giant in Salt Lake City. I've never seen anything like it because we shouldn't fit, but we but I'm it's also a part of where I've, I'm from and I'm not a ruffian. I'm not I've never been the dude that's like I'm so tough. Like my friends are those guys. That's never been me. And I've been there and I'll fight when I was younger, but like that's never been me. I don't want to hurt anybody. Like I'm like the trying to be the bright, happy light middle of like a really dark place. Like, and that was before Jesus. I was just trying to make my friends laugh and like, oh my God, like, can we please not kill these people? Like, so it was just like a crazy thing. So for me, I, I didn't have a spiel. I recognized that the beauty and the authenticity of the hardcore scene is that hyper-masculine thing. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what we have to offer. I, I try to look at it in terms of what is the gold within my culture that the church really needs. And when I think about a Davidic style of, of worship, a Davidic style of praise, that's us, man. That's, that's ruffian dudes that are like going to jump off the wall because that's who we are. And there's something powerful about our dance and our movement and, and that sound. It's like, man, you talk to like, if you have homies that grew up in the hardcore scene that get saved, they're just like, yo, the hardcore scene energy is one thing. When you add the presence of the Holy spirit in that dynamic and it's like powerful, bro, nothing like it. And so I've never experienced the presence and the power of God in praise. Like I have when we've been doing our thing. And it's a little bit like, I feel like my capacity got expanded for an expression of, of the Hebrew words for praise, which are like Yadach and Todah and Shabbat and all these things. And it's like shouting and dancing and spinning and being clamorously foolish and like, all, I mean, bowing and all. It's like, it's so demonstrative and it's like a big deal. And we do like three on Sunday. Like, no doubt about that. Hey, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna be in that room in eternity with you, homie. Like we're gonna be <laughs> hitting, yeah, on, bouncing. So yeah, that's, that's what we've said. Is like I I tried no to reconcile it. Is <clears throat> I know what you want in that, and it's meant for it's meant for expression mm. for real. But mm. I, I mean, I don't want anyone to get hurt. I I don't, and it and I. But I also just know like sometimes dudes. I mean. Sometimes guys just got to figure some stuff out, man. And, and on yeah. some of you just got to try your best to hold some space. And it's like in fathering, you, your kids are going to make <laughs> mistakes. You just want your kids not to make mistakes that are going to ruin their destiny, you know? And so it's like, yeah. if you're going to get a dust up in the parking lot, I get it. But like, we've had times in the last five years where like fools have pulled pistols and people have been shot to death. And it's like, you just don't, you don't want that. You don't yeah. want stuff that's going to ruin your destiny forever. But like, people are going to express what they're going through. And, and I think Jesus loves freedom way more than he loves control. And he gives us the ability to control ourselves. And if you don't have that gift of self-control from the Holy Spirit, I mean, you're just going to kind of be untapped and like you're going to go. So I, I think that's where Chrissy Green says it like Cat Williams, you know, it's like, it's not, it's called self-control. It's like, it's the control of yourself. Like no one else is going to control you. Um, yeah but you, and that's a great gift. But I think the hardcore scene is beautiful because you just get to see freedom in some ways. And um, to watch people submit that crown of freedom to the Holy Spirit and receive something even deeper back, that's dope. But in the meantime, it's just, it's chaos, you know? So yeah. yeah. Hey, brother, last question for you. This has been a tremendous blessing to be on. But what's your... Um, <clears throat> 
which you're, God, God has used you. I'm not even going to say, has God used you? God has used you in the ministry of Sleeping uh-huh. Giant. So um, you, would you reflect on a moment where, and not to bring, to bring praise and honor and glory to his name, what's been a moment where you're like, man, I'm really thankful for that. Because I reckon a lot of people on this side may not have known you and you're probably going to be, my listenership will be churches in Australia. And one of my biggest things is like, dude, how do I get Sleeping Giant over here? But you know, that's oh. not a thing, but, but like... <laughs> You know, it's not presently, but look, um, God has used your band. That's fact. Um, you know, through the power and presence of his spirit, he's done some things. What's something you reflect on in those days? You're like, man, thank you, God, so much for showing up at this time and in this way. Dude, there's like so many. Um, uh, watching Jr. a bass player, pray for a kid that was blind and he got his sight back. Oh man! Having a lady in Kansas come up to us and say, "I've had I have pins in my neck and I can't move my neck." And in the middle of your set, all of a sudden the power of God hit me and I can. And she started like moving her neck back and forth and was like sobbing. Um, praying for a couple that said, "We can't have kids in San Antonio." And then coming back on the next tour cycle and, and I prayed for them. I said, I just don't, I want to believe for good things. If you have a dream of having a child, then let's pray. Let's just see if God will do a miracle. And, and I don't mean any judgment. There's no shame in this at all. Like there's a lot of people that they can't do that, but let's believe, let's see if God will do something. And then the next tour cycle coming back and they they come up to me crying and they hand me the picture and they're like, we're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. And, um, oh, man. Having people, whose marriages are like falling apart and saying, Hey, I know a pastor, you should meet him. And then they start going to that church of like ruffian kids. And now years later, they've got a family and they're like, we, we did it and we're together. And like, if it wasn't for kind of meeting in that moment, our marriage would have been gone. Our kids would be in this kind of broken home. And like, I'm so grateful, you know, so real world stuff, like girls coming to me and saying like, I'm, I'm about to even like, I don't want to, but my parents are telling me I have to have an abortion. And I'm like, if you don't want to do that, I will take your baby. Please just like have your baby and let me have that baby. Like I will. And she's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm, I, I don't know why my parents are freaking, but I'm going to have, and now I get pictures of like her son that she has. And like, there's real life stuff that's happened. And then there's like the spiritual stuff of like, you know, I'm not addicted anymore. I, I came to the show and I was ready to, kill myself and I have my note and, and God spoke to me and now I'm not going to do that. And so there's the real spiritual stuff. And then there's like families saved and, and, and little kids being born and, and, um, medical conditions that disappear and like all sorts of crazy stuff. So I would just say there's been so many times where we get done baptizing a bunch of kids in a trash can (laughs) and I go, I can't believe we're doing this, but like, this is what we've got. You know, all of the, the ice has melted and the, and the water buckets backstage. So we drug them out to the middle of the floor and like 60 kids came and we dunked them and they all got baptized. Like we're just doing what we can with what we've got. And those are those moments where I'm like, thank you for being a part of that memory. Like I can feel him like laughing at us. Like this is awesome. Good job guys. And so there's been, there's been too many to name. It's like when John says, you know, if, if you had to recount it all, there's not even enough books in the world. It's like, who knows how many people have, he got to do something for them 
we got to be there. And somehow he's going to be like, thanks for creating the atmosphere. I got to get like that and that and that and that. And we'll be like, oh, so there's a lot, man. There's just so many. Man, that's it's a so lot. cool. So cool, brother. Thank you. This was Thanks, so, Mom. this was life-giving, man. I'm so thankful oh, that we did get glad. to catch up and I'm very um, thankful for your ministry. Thank you for God, how, how he has used you in your life uh, through wow. your band, through, um, yeah, multitude Thanks, things, man. but through your music. Thanks, and, brother. Well, keep me posted. Please stay in touch. I appreciate yeah. you. Hey, you know what? I might log off right now real quick and then just catch up for like a minute or two of small talk. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. I'm going to nail this. Well, hey, that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, if you did, please help me promote. I know you know how to do that. Like or share or subscribe or all those kind of clever things that people are talking about. Um, but also, if you have anyone that you think would be a good interview for this uh, podcast, please do leave that in the comments down below. Let's close today with these words in Hebrews chapter 10. Paul reminds us, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Until that day, guys, keep doing life together. Love you. Share this around. Bless you. Peace. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Pretty good.